All right, good morning, Crosspoint Church. How are y'all doing this morning? Hey, we're so glad you joined us today, this morning, on Valentine's Day. Has anybody gone on any hot dates the past couple days? All right, we got a couple amens, yes, down here. If you don't know, last night, our uh, student ministry hosted and sponsored a date night for parents. And so basically, yeah, it was, thank you, one person took advantage of that, awesome, no. We actually had over 100 kids up here last night, and, and it was an amazing night where our students wanted to say they care about marriages too. They care so much about your marriage parents because they're willing to give up their Saturday night to watch children for free. And so we had a lot of families and parents take advantage of that last night. And so we hope you had an awesome hot date night last night while we watched children. And we had a great time because this whole series that we're in is called Stronger. And we're going to be looking today at gospel-centered roles in marriage and how those roles make us stronger. But before we hop in, I want to let everyone know and invite everyone that's here today, and even you can invite people in your uh, community, where you work, families. Next Sunday after church from 3 to 7, we are having a family fun day out at Terra Chula Plantation in Quitman. I have no idea where that is, but I've been told the directions are on our website. So to go to crosspointchurch.cc and you can find the directions. It's going to be an amazing afternoon from 3 to 7. We're going to have hay rides. We're going to have s'mores. You can bring your fishing poles. There's awesome ponds to go fishing with your kids. Uh, there's also going to be a lot of great things, bounce houses. And we're going to do something most churches love to do. We are going to have a good old-fashioned covered dish dinner, all right? So we're going to be pulling out our inner Southern Baptists and make your best casseroles, bring them to this, to our family fun day next week, okay? And so bring enough food for you and your family, and we're just going to have fun eating together, playing together, enjoying time together, and it's designed to build time for your family. We're not going to have our student ministry next week, next Sunday night, because we want to say, hey, we care about our families, and we want to give you time as a family to grow stronger together. Like I said, our current series is called Stronger. And we live in a culture and a world today, and frankly, our enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy marriages. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy families. I get the great opportunity to work with students on a regular basis here at Crosspoint. And my wife and I, we've talked to many students, and a lot of them don't even want to get married. And we ask, why don't you? Because they have never seen a good marriage on display. And it breaks my heart because they have this warped sense of what marriage really is. Because moms and dads are not embracing the gospel-centered roles that we see in Ephesians 5. Yes, marriage is hard. I tell couples in premarital counseling that marriage is like a, a pressure cooker, all right? Once you're thrown in, it, it's, just, it's a sanctification pressure cooker. It reveals in you how selfish you are, how mean you can be, but it also can create something very beautiful. And so today, we're going to dive into Ephesians 5. If you have God's Word, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27. And we're going to see the roles of the husband and wife and how the husband and wife are equal, yet different. 
And when we embrace these different roles that God has planned for us, that's how we bring glory to God. When we embrace these roles, it's like fitting two puzzle pieces together. When the husband is doing his roles and the wife is doing his roles, that's how you display a glorious picture of the gospel for others. That's what Pastor David hit, hit on last week. The meaning of marriage is to display the glory of God. And men and women, the only way we dis- display the glory of God is by embracing these roles. So whether you're single here this morning, you're married, you're engaged, no matter where you are this morning, I want to encourage you that you can learn from God's word this morning. Take these truths, these roles that we're about to look at, apply them to your own heart, apply them to your marriage, apply them to even maybe your future relationships. So as we look at Ephesians 5 and press into it, I'm going to pray for us and we'll begin. Father, I thank you for this time where we could come together as a faith family. God, and worship you. Jesus, you are a wonderful Savior, and we thank you for what you have done for us. Jesus, that you are our bridegroom, and we are your bride. Jesus, we thank you that you have defeated sin and death, and Jesus, you are victorious. So, Father, may you bring victory into our lives, into our marriages, and into our families. Father, may your word stand supreme today and speak to our hearts. In your holy name I pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 5, 22 through 27, I'm going to read it for us. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, is, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, we're going to look at three distinct roles we see here in Scripture, but before we look at these distinct roles, I want to kind of clear up some misconceptions and actually give you a couple working definitions before we really dive in. The first one is equality. The Bible teaches that God made both man and woman in his image. That's what we see in Genesis 2. We are created equal, of equal worth, dignity, and value. So when we talk about these distinct roles, is when man is head of the wife, it's not saying that he is greater, that he's supposed to be lording over her. No, we are equal in the sight of God. That leads to the second definition I want us to, to kind of explore is the idea of headship. We see in Ephesians 5.23 that the husband is head of the wife. What does that even mean, headship? It simply means this. The man is responsible for his wife in every way. And he leads by serving. The man's headship is defined by sacrificial love. A love that leads him to lay down his life for the good of his wife. He is a sacrificial leader. So this headship isn't a dictatorship. It is a sacrificial laying down of your life. The third definition is submission. For a lot of people, this is kind of like a dirty word. I don't like that word. 
In our culture, we don't like to submit. We like to be free. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But we see submission is a very biblical thing to do. We see here that in Ephesians 5, through 24, that the wives are called to submit to their husband. But submission is not a slavish sort of submission. This isn't a woman do what I say type of submission. I remember my first year of marriage, I was young. And I remember my wife and I, we got in an argument. I can't even remember what it was about. But I remember using that phrase, woman, why don't you just submit? You laugh. It wasn't a pretty day. I learned that day, I only said that once, all right? (laughs) I'm not stupid, okay? I only said that once. What I didn't understand then is because I was like, you're just supposed to do what I say. No, that's not what true submission is. It's not this slavish sort of submission. Rather, submission is a joyful and willing agreement to let the husband lead. I love this. It is a fearless and faithful fellowship. True submission is a fearless and faithful fellowship. It's fearless because you don't have to worry where the husband is leading because you know he's leading you closer to Christ. It is faithful because you know that his heart is ultimately following after Jesus so he can lead your heart. It's a fearless and faithful fellowship. It is a yielding based on trust. Biblical submission happens because there is trust in the one who is leading. So those are three things I just want to kind of define before we really hop into these roles. Like I said before, when we step into these roles, we fit together like a puzzle piece. We display how we're called to be in a marriage. When husbands, you fulfill your roles and wives, you fulfill your roles, you will make a beautiful picture of the gospel. So let's look at the role of the wife. The role of the wife. This is in verses 22 through 24. I'm going to read it again for us really quickly. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. For us to really understand this type of submission, we need to understand biblical womanhood. And I love what John Piper says about this, about biblical womanhood. I'm going to read it for us. It says, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, to receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to women's differing relationships. So biblical submission, biblical mature womanhood isn't just actions or behaviors. No, it is a disposition. It's an attitude of your heart and your head. It's a mindset where you seek to affirm, receive, and nurture. That's what biblical submission is, is to affirm, to receive, and to nurture. So let's, let's press into that, to affirm. So ladies, you are called to affirm your husband's strength and leadership. That means value it. Do you even value your husband's leadership? It's to acknowledge that God has given your husband the responsibility to lead. 
Ladies, when I think about the word affirm, I think about the word encourage. Ladies, can you honestly look at your marriage and say, I'm an encourager? Or are you a discourager? So, ladies, you're called to affirm. You're also called to receive. You're called to receive a husband's leadership, to accept it, his strengths, to receive it with grace, and to show grace as you receive it. This idea of receiving submission, it eliminates manipulation. It eliminates it, where you can't work out things for your good to receive it. Thirdly, it's called to nurture. It's to come alongside of your husband and help nurture the relationship. That's what we see in Genesis 2 where God said, I will bring you a helper. I will make you a helper suitable for you or fit or best for you. You are the helper in this relationship. You are partners, you nurture. And when I think of that word nurture, I think of a child where how you nurture and raise a child or kind of like a tree, like a, a small tree. Me and my wife, we tried to plant stuff in our yard and it dies weekly, you know, I'm like, why do we keep spending money on this? But, but maybe one of the reasons we, it all dies is because I never water it. You think maybe I would, I would learn to water it, but I don't. And I go to the store and I ask, hey, what's plants I don't have to water that we don't live in that type of climate? All right, fine. All right. But ladies, it's the same thing. This idea of nurture is watering your relationship. How are you watering your relationship with your husband with the words of encouragement and nurture to it? Because this type of submission, ladies, brings life, not death. And ladies, you are the only one that can speak into this, into your marriage. Ladies, you are the only one that can bring words of life and encouragement, affirmation, and nurture to your husband. You are the only one. But sometimes, marriage can be hard. A lot of times we can have difference of opinions. We can, I can think I want to do it my way, and my wife can say, no, I want to do it her way. And there can be conflict comes, comes up. You can be married for 50 years or five minutes. You know that you're going to have conflict, all right, because communication breaks down, and, and a lot of things can happen. But ultimately, I think the reason we have conflict is, yes, communication, but also because we don't live out Ephesians 5.33. I'll read it for us. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I love how Paul says this. Men, we're called to love and ladies, we're called, not we, you are called to respect. But what happens a lot of time in conflict is when I don't feel respected, therefore I don't want to give my wife love. And when she doesn't receive love, she doesn't want to give me what? Respect. And then all of a sudden, the cycle starts to happen. When I don't feel even, if I feel even more disrespected, and like, woman, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to give what you need. That's my natural reaction. My nature wants to say, no, if I don't get this, then I'm not going to give. And so often you see this in any relationship, especially marriage relationships, you see this played out and it's this crazy spin cycle that happens. If you ever read the book Love and Respect, it talks about this a lot. And the guy that wrote it, Dr. Emerson, he actually did a study where he interviewed 7,000 couples. And this is what he asked them, the question he asked them. During conflict, do you feel unloved or disrespected? Yes, the husband and wife, that question. 
83% of the husbands said they feel disrespected, and 72% of the wives say they feel unloved. So when we enter into this conflict, it's so easy just to get into that cycle, that spin cycle of, I'm not showing you respect, and I'm not going to show you love. So how do you get out of this crazy spin cycle? How do you hit that stop button and say, no, we're not going to keep going around and around and around in this? I want to give you five kind of practical things that God has given me in, in my marriage with Callie. And these are just five things that I try to do. I don't do these great, to be honest, but I try. So I want to share these with you, give you some little practical things to take home today. The first thing is this. How do you hit that stop button on that crazy spin cycle? Men you are called to lead. And that means leading the way in forgiveness. Leading the way in forgiveness. That means dying to yourself and your wants. Men, this means you don't have to be right. You value unity over your own pride. Men, when we lead the way in restoration and seeking forgiveness, that hits the stop button on this crazy spin cycle. Ladies, view submission correctly. View submission correctly. Submission is not arguing in order to get what you want. Submission isn't a bargaining chip, and it's not manipulative, and it does not try to control. When you have a good biblical view of submission, that helps you hit that stop button on the spin cycle, ladies. The third thing is don't shoot fiery arrows. Do not shoot fiery arrows. What I mean by that is I know exactly what I can say in an argument to hurt my wife the deepest. I know exactly what I could say to hurt her. And so often in those arguments, we want to pull out a fiery arrow and shoot it right at them. You hit me, okay, with your words, I'm about to come with a knockout punch. And we do that in our relationship. But men and women, women, we already have an enemy that's already shooting fiery arrows at us. So may we not shoot them at each other. Be willing to forgive. It's amazing how often we like to hold on to grudges and hold on to things. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of what? Wrongs. Allow that truth to kind of sit into your marriage and into your relationship. Be willing to forgive and move on. And lastly, what I try to do for our marriage, trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's sovereignty. It's not by mistake that you are married. God does not make mistakes, especially when it's referring to Christ and his church. It's not a mistake that you're married. And you may, Gabe, you have no idea what we're going through. You don't understand how we were before and how we are now. I say, what I say is God can redeem anyone and anything. We serve a mighty God, and he can take the worst marriage, and he can turn it into the healthiest marriage. Trust in God's sovereignty that he has brought you together. So that's how some quick five things, how you can hit that stop button on that spin cycle. And so I want us to kind of continue diving into this idea of submission. And ladies, uh, I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 4, and 5. And, and Peter is describing an excellent and beautiful 
wife. He says, but let your adorning or beauty be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. So ladies, if you want to be an excellent and beautiful wife, may you adorn your heart before you adorn your hair. May you be more focused on your heart than your outward beauty. Yes, outside beauty is great, but it fades. What about your heart? An excellent and beautiful wife knows that her true beauty comes from hope in God first and submission to her husband second. We see here that she sets the example in the home and how to follow Jesus. Moms, if you want your children to follow Jesus, how well are you showing submission in your home? She has a gentle and quiet spirit meaning she knows how to affirm her husband's leadership by guiding it without force. She doesn't come into situations like a wrecking ball. She communicates her thoughts, her desires, and her wishes in a respectful way that doesn't accuse or belittle. She chooses words of life, not death. And ladies, when when you do this, God's word says that you are precious. It actually says you are very precious. When you fill your role of submission in your marriage, you are, a, you are very precious in the eyes of the Lord and you make an excellent and beautiful wife for your husband, for your children, but also for a world that doesn't understand submission. So that's the role of the wife. Now I wanna switch and we're gonna look at the role of the husband. So ladies, you can go ahead and elbow your husband right now and say, wake up, all right? Roll the husband. You can take some good notes for him, all right? Verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, this is a commandment, not a suggestion. We are commanded to love our wives. And not only that, Paul actually says this phrase, Three times in this text, if you go all the way to verse 33. Three times. I think because Paul understands, men, we're a little, we have some selective hearing, don't we? Every lady says amen right there, yeah, all right? And Paul is trying to help us here say, men, love your wives. And men, when when we hear that, we have to understand two things. Love is a language and love is an action. Love is a language and love is an action. What do I mean by love is a language? I'm truly convinced that there are five major ways that everyone in this room, everyone on this planet likes to receive love. So men, you need to know the language that your wife wants to be loved on and by. And there's five major ones. The first one is this, words of affirmation. That means what makes your wife feel most love is when you tell her how beautiful she is. You tell her how great of a mother she is. You encourage her. You build her up instead of tearing her down. Another language of love is acts of service. 
This is where you go alongside of her and help her or do things for her. That's when you say, hey, I'm going to go home and clean the house before she even gets home. Women you know, giggling, that ain't ever going to happen. Or you're saying, hey, I'm going to help you put our children to bed. I'm going to cook for us tonight. Acts of service. A third one is receiving gifts. Men, this is where ladies want to know how valuable they are by what you give them. And that doesn't mean just monetary things. It means your time. That leads to the next one, quality time. Quality time is not about quantity. It's quality. It took me a while to understand this because one of my wife's love languages is quality times, words of affirmation. And so uh, as we, and I still struggle with this from time to time, is, is like we can spend all day together and then she tells me, she's like, Gabe, we haven't spent any time together today. I'm like, what are you talking about? I went everywhere you wanted to go. I did this. I did that for you. But the problem was most of the time that we were together, my eyes were on a little screen. So, men, may we stop fixing our eyes on a little screen and start fixing our eyes on our wives. Quality time. The, third, the last one, the fifth one, is physical touch. This is where every man, man here says amen. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> men, you don't like physical touch? All right. Amen. I'll say it. Physical touch. Amen. But the problem is we normally speak the language that we like to receive. I'm acts of service. And so the way I like to be loved is for my wife to do things and help me. She is words of affirmation and quality time. I don't need words of encouragement. I don't need her to tell me that she loves me every day, but my wife does. So it is a struggle for me because that's not how I receive love to show her that type of love. I have to work on it. So men, I wanna challenge you, work on the language of love that your wife needs. Speak that language to her, even if it doesn't come naturally. So love is a language. Secondly, love is an action. This is where we're really going to press into a couple verses here in Ephesians 5. Love is an action. Men, we're called to be the lion and the lamb to our wives and to our families. Men, we're called to be the lion-hearted lamb. And that means we're first called to be the spiritual leader. Men, you are called to be the spiritual leader. Look at verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its savior. Men, God has appointed you to be the spiritual leader of your family. And this responsibility supersedes all other responsibilities you have. It goes before your work. It goes before how much money you make. You are first and foremost called to be the spiritual leader to your wife and to your children. And the way we lead is by following the model of Christ. And his model was servant leadership. Quite simply, servant leadership means putting the interest of your wife and your family above your own. You are constantly helping point them, guiding them, and at times pushing them closer and closer and closer to Jesus. That's why verse 25 says, as husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Men, be the lion in your relationship with your, with your wife and lead. But also be the lamb by willing to lay down your life for her. A husband's commitment to spiritual leadership is enabled by his commitment to Christ. Men, I truly believe this. We will not lead if we're not following Jesus. Men, you cannot lead if you're not following Jesus yourself. That's why I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, human nature likes to rule, but the spirit of God works submissiveness of mind. Instead of wanting to be first, the truly spiritual man, the lion-hearted man, will be satisfied to be last if he can thus glorify God. The man who must always be king of the castle is not filled with the spirit of God, but he that is willing to be a doormat on which the saints may wipe their feet is great in the kingdom of heaven. There's some strong images in that quote. Men, we're called to lead like a lion, but that doesn't mean that we rule our little sandcastles on this earth like a dictatorship. No, we are called to lead by being a servant leader and dying to ourselves by looking after our wives and our families first. We're called to be the servant leader. Secondly, men, we're called to be the protector. Men, we're called to be the protector. Look at verse 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Men, we're called to honor, respect, and sanctify our wives. That means to be protective, to make holy. God is sanctifying each of us. He's protecting us, making us more and more like him. You are called to do that to your wives and family. And this role of protection applies not just to physical strength, but more to spiritual protection. So, men, I want to ask you a question this morning. How are you protecting your marriage and your home? I'm not talking about having a gun in your side table, all right? That can be good or bad, however you look at it. I'm not talking about physical protection. How are you spiritually protecting your marriage in your home? How are you protecting it by what you take into your own eyes, men? How are you protecting your own heart so it can be completely your wives? How are you protecting your time for your wife and your children? How are you protecting your intentionality for your wife and your children? How are you protecting their importance in your own life? To be honest, I was hit hard by this this week. When I looked at how I protect my family, I'm like, I was like, okay, I can do this. If someone breaks in my home, I'm willing to break them in half, throw them through a window. Yeah, I can protect them. I'm a big dude. But God was, God was really working on my, my heart. He says, Gabe, how do you protect them with your time? I love ministry. I love what God's called me to do. But I can, have, I can be on a date with my wife. I can have family night, and I get a phone call or a text, and I'm like... I pull it out and my natural instinct is to say, family, you're gonna be put on hold and I gotta address this. But men, every time we're on a date and we take that phone call from work, we're saying to our wives, 
this is more valuable. Every time on that family fun night when you're trying to pour and love onto your children, every time I answer that phone call, even if it's ministry, I'm saying, hey, my little boy and girl, ministry is more important than you. God has wrecked me with this. How well are we protecting our home, men, and our marriages? May we lead like a lion and protect our wives and our families with physical, emotional, and spiritual protection and sanctify them like the Lamb of God. Finally, men, we're called to be the provider. Men, we're called to be the provider. Verse 27, it says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus provides everything for us. Men, we're called to provide for our families, to present them without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We see in Genesis, Adam, when sin crept in and entered the world, Adam wasn't protecting. That's his greatest failure, I truly believe. He wasn't protecting his wife or his family because he wasn't providing the spiritual leadership that they needed. Men, I want you to understand this truth. Our wives are a precious gift. Our wives are a precious gift given to us by God himself. That's why I love Proverbs 15 or 5:18 where it says rejoice in the wife of your youth. What Solomon is saying here is don't just, hey, don't rejoice when she was young, when she looked a certain way or she used to act a certain way. He says, no, rejoice in the wife of your youth. He's saying, men, remember. Remember why you fell in love. Remember why God brought you together. So if you're here this morning, ladies and men, if you feel like your marriage is struggling, I want to challenge you this morning to remember. Remember how God brought you together. Remember why God brought you together. Remember what you love about your wife. Remember what you love about your husband. And I know there's people in here saying, Gabe, you don't know what he has done to me. You don't, rem- you don't know what has happened. You don't know the time that has gone on. I still want to challenge you to remember. This is something that I tell every pre in my, every couple that I, I do marriage counseling with, premarital counseling with, I tell them to remember. So if your marriage is struggling, I want to challenge you to do this. It's a very practical step. Every three to four months, I challenge you to remember. This is something me and my wife try to do. Every three to four months, we try to get away on a nice date, and we try to remember What I mean by remember, we remember how we fell in love. We tell each other how we fell in love. The time I saw her walking across the street at VSU, and I was like, man, I can't wait to get to know that girl. We tell the story to ourselves again and again what God is doing because we are forgetful people. We remember. We also remember by telling each other at least five things that we love about each other. Men, Don't just try to pull something out of the hat on the spot when you do this. Actually think about those five things that you love about your wife and tell her that. Ladies, tell him that. If you can't think of five, think of three, all right? 
The number's not important. And lastly, give them one thing to work on. When my wife and I, we get together, we, we want to remember why God has brought us together. We want to encourage each other because we live in a culture and we naturally love to break down. We naturally like to discourage. So we want to spend time encouraging each other by what we love about each other. And lastly, we just give each other one thing that we can work on. Because typically in a typical argument, it's like, you don't do this, 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 and this. And we throw out a whole laundry list of things that our husband or wife is terrible at. We don't do that. We lay down our weapons. It's a safe place. It's, hey, can you just work on this? Even if I feel like I do that well, I say, okay, I'm really going to focus on that and work on that. And we give each other one thing to work on. So if your marriage this morning is struggling, I want to challenge you to remember. And one final note on this marriage before we look at the role of the bride is that marriage is not a fairy tale. Marriage is not a fairy tale. No matter how many Disney movies you see, marriage is not a fairy tale. No matter how many romantic movies you see, that one man will not complete you or satisfy you completely. I love what Paul David Tripp says about this. He says, romantic love is a wonderful gift, but a terrible God. Say that one more time. Romantic love is a wonderful gift, but a terrible God. Romance is not the cause of a good marriage. It is the result of a good marriage. We can easily fall into that trap as husband and wife or in dating or looking for that one person. If I find this one person, they're going to meet all my needs. They're going to satisfy me. That one perfect person is out there. Faith family, there has only been one perfect person. His name is Jesus, and he's the only one that can satisfy us. Not our husband, not our wives, not that future knight in shining armor. No, we are all sinful, and we will make mistakes. But Jesus is perfect, and he never makes mistakes, and he is the one that we need most of all. He is the one that can sustain our marriage. My marriage is much stronger when I'm in awe of who Jesus is before I'm in awe of who my wife is. Marriage is important to God. And when you really think about this marriage in here, this mystery of marriage, Jesus is referring to his relationship with us, the church. Just think about that. That should blow our minds that marriage represents Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. And this is the last role that I want to kind of hit on before we leave this morning is the role of Christ and her bride. The role of Christ and the bride. If you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is you. We are the bride of Christ, John 3 says. And Jesus is our bridegroom. Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. One day, when Jesus returns, we will have a marriage celebration about his church being one with the bridegroom. The role of Christ in his church. Jesus 
laid down his life for his bride. We see that he loves us so much that he was obedient to the point of death on the cross for us. Jesus, when he asked us to follow, submit, and love, he did that first. Jesus was submitted himself to the Father's will. That's what we see in John 4 when the disciples run to him and say, here, Jesus, eat of this. He says, I have food that you do not know. It's to do the will of the one who sent me. We see it again in the garden where Jesus is praying right before he's about to be publicly humiliated and tortured, crucified with his arms stretched wide to take on our sin and to satisfy the full wrath of God. He prays in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done already. So may we, as the church, as the bride of Christ, may we follow after Jesus, may we submit to Jesus, and may we love like Jesus. I want to close with this last verse. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Men, if your marriage is struggling or if it's great, run to Jesus. Ladies, if your marriage is crumbling or it's being built up, run to Jesus. He is the only one that can satisfy us and save our souls. We gotta have the divine romance before we ever have an earthly romance. So no matter where you are this morning, the challenge is the same to everyone that is sitting here in these seats. Run to Jesus. So men, that might mean saying, hey, I'm gonna take the first steps of leadership. I'm gonna grab my wife's hand. I'm gonna come to this altar and pray for our marriage. Or for the men and women in this room and say, Gabe, I don't even know Jesus. It might be saying, hey, running to Jesus, coming to this altar, praying to God, talking to a pastor. We'd love to introduce you to our bridegroom, Jesus. We've been challenged today by looking at the roles of marriage and how God has designed the roles of our marriage. So as we look to that, May we all run to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, how he came to do your will. And Father, as as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we run to Jesus, God, may he heal our wounds. Father, I know there are a lot of men, a lot of women, a lot of marriages that are out here this morning, God, that have a lot of open wounds. But Jesus, you are the ointment 
to heal all our wounds. So Jesus, I ask that you would heal the relationships that are broken in this room. God, you would draw the people that do not know you to yourself this morning. And Father, that you would make the marriages in this room stronger. They would become stronger because we're walking out in obedience to the roles that you have set out for us. Father, give the men strength this morning to lead. Father, give the women out here this morning strength to submit. Father, above all else, we just want you to be glorified. In your holy name I pray. Amen.